Hello and welcome to this Worship by Phone recording posted during the week of Sunday, February 28th. Call this number back at any time to hear this message again and call back each week for a new Worship by Phone recording. Well, this past Sunday, the 28th, of course, was the final Sunday of the month. Uh, We said hello to the month of March afterward, which is really hard to believe. Uh, But it was also the second Sunday in Lent. And with me in worship uh, were a few different people. So along with my voice, you will hear the voices of Josh Testa, uh, who shares the unison prayer uh, and the uh, watchword for the week. Uh, You will hear the voice of Andrew Miller, uh, who is singing, and then Gail Justice, who is playing organ, but also reads our scripture passage uh, from the Gospel of Mark. So now I'll turn it over to Josh to begin our worship today. Hi, I'm Josh. I go to Liberty, and I work at the Cup. And this last year has been difficult, but I'm praying for better times ahead. So the daily text watcher for the week comes from Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Please join me in prayer. We give thanks to you, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our union with Christ, you have blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Even before the world was made, you had already chosen us to be your through Christ, so that we believe so we would be holy and without fault before you. We praise you for your glorious grace, for the free gift you gave us in your Son. Amen. The scripture reading for today is from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of then the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here ends the reading of the scripture for today. May God add his blessings on the reading and understanding of his holy words.
So once again in worship today, we are focusing on the Gospel of Mark, uh, a gospel that was long ago thought to be simple and short and crude as far as biblical standards for writing go, but make no mistake, Mark is written by some who by someone who really knows how to tell a good story. So in order to see that, we need to remember what it's like to be on the receiving end of a good story. And then we can use that as a lens through which we read this passage. Now, good stories will often let the audience in on information that some characters in the story don't yet know. The audience knows, for example, that Aladdin is poor, but Princess Jasmine thinks he's rich up to a certain point. The audience knows that Mulan is a woman, but no one else does up to a certain point. The audience knows that Bruce Wayne or Peter Parker or Clark Kent are superheroes, but hardly anyone else knows. Now, I wasn't watching cartoons all weekend, and I'm not exactly sure why I picked all cartoon movies, but it's in a whole bunch of movies and books. This pattern of the audience knowing something that other characters in the story don't, because then it sets up a really suspenseful moment, or at least us wondering up until that moment, how this character is going to find out this information in the first place and be let in on the secret that we already know. And usually when they do finally find out that information, like it's a big deal in the story. Remember that because the same thing is going on here in Mark. The disciples and the crowd are going to hear some things about Jesus for the very first time in the scripture passage that we read. This is that moment when we get to witness them finding out things that we've known about Jesus the whole entire time. So the disciples, they finally figure out that Jesus truly is their long-awaited Messiah and chosen one who will come to defeat the Roman Empire, defeat all the other empires that might be competing with them, to save them from all of that potential harm and start a new kingdom under God. So you can feel the relief that the group has when Peter finally guesses right that Jesus is in fact the Messiah and is in fact the one that they've always been waiting for. But then things take a drastic turn. In that same conversation, the disciples then find out that Jesus is going to die. This one that they've been waiting for forever is now saying that he is going to die and you can suddenly feel that relief sucked out of the room or wherever it is that they're standing. They're beside themselves. And so Peter makes an attempt to get Jesus to admit that this can't be true. But he's quickly overruled by Jesus that yes, he is in fact going to die. So still reeling from all of this new information, right? Information that we knew all along and the disciples were just floored by this. Then Jesus calls others around the disciples and forms a crowd and then mentions something else that the disciples and no one else had ever heard Jesus talk about before. It's never mentioned in the gospel up until this point. Jesus finally mentions the cross. 
Again, we know the end of the story. So we just assume that Jesus and crosses go together because that's what happened to Jesus. But if we assume that, we forget that this is the one and only time that Jesus ever mentions a cross in the Gospel of Mark. He doesn't even mention it when he is up on the cross. This is the one time he talks about a cross. For the disciples and the crowd, there is absolutely no reason why they should associate Jesus with the cross. None whatsoever. So you can imagine upon this shocking news that the crowd would, would be saying to one another, you know, if anyone, uh, after hearing these, these words from Jesus, that if anyone wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, you can just imagine their reactions to this. Because they've all seen crosses before. They've seen them along the side of a road. They've seen them up on hills. Uh, they're fairly common in that day and age. So I'm sure that they've seen them before. But nothing remotely good comes from a cross. They stand for death and pain. They stand for humiliation and punishment and an abuse of power and corruption and greed and, self, and selfishness. So the crowds that came to Jesus didn't come to him for those reasons. They obviously came to him because he was living in a way that was opposite to all of that. He was healing person after person after person. He was a source of life, the complete opposite of what the cross stood for. So crosses really were exactly what Jesus, what the Messiah, what this chosen one, what a savior would come to take away, would demolish, would get rid of forever. So he was a savior who would in fact do that, at least that's what everybody assumed, so that no one would ever see crosses again. So why in the world would a savior be telling everyone to take them up instead? That seems completely backwards. So you can see why this is a huge moment in the Gospel of Mark. This is a huge moment for the characters who don't know the end of the story. But let's put those shoes back on again, if you will. Assume that we do know the end of the story because we could say to them, look who it is that you're talking to. Of course, Jesus would say, take up your cross and follow him. Because here's a guy, when asked about why he dined with sinners, would say, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Here's a guy that would heal during times like the Sabbath where he wasn't supposed to. Here was a guy that would let people touch him who, who were sick or who were labeled unclean. Here's a guy that, that would not let any laws or rules stop him from healing the sick and the pained. Here's a guy that wouldn't even stop, even if it meant that he would die because of it. Christ's love is relentless, meaning that he will stop at nothing to bring life and help and healing to others. 
even if that means willingly entering into their pain and their struggle. During my chaplaincy internship at Reading Hospital during seminary, they often described caring for others as being willing to enter into another atmosphere. Each time you stepped into a hospital room, in order to care for that person, you were willingly stepping into someone else's struggle and problems and questions and uncertainties. This was your purpose in being a caretaker. You know, we don't have to be in a hospital to feel that. When we take someone to the doctor or see someone who is sick, we kind of get a sense of what pain or sickness that they're in just by being there and helping them. When we reach out to someone after a loved one dies, we get a sense of their grief. When we feed the hungry, we see the faces of hungry people. When we recycle thousands of pounds of plastic, we get a glimpse of the ugly reality of pollution. When we listen to the stories of minorities and the oppressed, we hear of the ugly reality of discrimination and injustice. When we do good out of compassion and love for others, we willingly step into things that we would otherwise avoid. And in so doing, we willingly take up crosses of many varieties. So now Jesus is challenging us. If we are going to follow him, if we are going to serve with love and compassion, are we willing to experience that side, the shadow side, the cross side of that loving service? This is all really hard. Because if we are going to be loving people, we will encounter things, if not for brief moments, but we will encounter things, ugly truths, different pains, things that we commonly avoid. So this is really hard. So I want to lift up three other things to remember here, I guess kind of like disclaimers, if you will. So the first one of these things that I will lift up. I'd like to mention that, that showing people that you're willing to step into their struggle, even if it's for a brief moment, is a huge gesture that is oftentimes far more important than what you actually do or say in a given moment. We all, even that person that is struggling, we all know it's hard to think of what to do or what to say in a moment of uncertainty or pain or anything like that. It's, it's, we, we worry about it. And what I'm saying now is let's try to not worry about that as much and let, let's have that not prevent us from showing up in the first place when it's really that gesture of entering into pain is what is more important. The second thing I want to mention when acting out of love and stepping into things that we commonly avoid, Jesus says that we are following him. Thus, not only is he with us in the midst of picking up crosses, but he's ahead of us too, showing us that there is hope that we're going to come out of this on the other side. And the third thing I'll just lift up is that there's a lot of things that this passage does not say. Jesus is not calling us to overstep our boundaries 
or interfere with other people's affairs. Jesus is not calling us to overextend or overburden ourselves. People who care for others must also receive care and care for themselves. This is really important. And usually this often takes the the form of, of rest or counseling or even trusting others to do their part of their job or their service of others and relying on others to, in fact, then help yourself. This is not a call to be more than human, to be superhuman. We are not Jesus, and Jesus knows that. So we are not being called to overextend ourselves. We are certainly called to live a healthy balance of caring for ourselves and caring for others and caring for our world. So there's so much here in this passage, so much that I didn't even touch on, but we already went through a lot. We first accessed the, this, uh, this gravity of this moment in the gospel by witnessing everyone else in the story hear about things about Jesus that, that we knew all along. And so we saw their genuine reactions of when he mentioned the cross, for the very first time. We, were, we are reminded now that each time we serve someone out of love, we willingly enter into their struggle, thus picking up some kind of cross, if only for a moment. And now we walk away knowing that loving others can be really hard work, which requires us to care for ourselves too. And above all, we remember that we follow a savior who will stop at nothing, not even death, to be with each of us in all that we do and in all of our joys and in all of our struggles. Thanks be to Christ for all these reminders and thanks be to Christ for his relentless love. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.